0: Alright, we're getting it all in today, I love it, baptism and baby dedication. Um, I love the church, I love this church, I am so grateful to be a part of this church and I'm, I'm grateful to get to celebrate and do life with all of you, um, the ups and the downs, the good and the bad, the celebrations, it's such an encouragement and a blessing for me and uh, so I'm grateful today, days like this uh, make me grateful Uh, to get to be a part of a church like this. So I love you, church. Grateful for you. Well, we are continuing a series today that we started a few weeks ago, and it's called Go. Everybody say go. Go. Man, you guys are awesome. Um, so, So we started this series. It's based on the Great Commission that comes out of Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, where Jesus says to his disciples, go, therefore... And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Let me just pause right there. When we baptize, we baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit because we want to obey God's word. And so that's why we baptize, that's, that's how we baptize. Uh, there's not a new and better way to baptize than God's instructions for us in his word. So Jesus says, make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, he says, teach them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. As we go, as we take the good news of the gospel message to our communities and around the world, Jesus is with us. Always to the very end of the age. Believers 2,000 years ago and believers today, as we share the good news, the hope of Jesus Christ, Jesus is still with us, just like he was with those disciples In the early days of the church, he is still with us today. And there is a continuity of faith that that takes us from this spot generations and generations and generations and generations and generations and generations back that connects us with those early believers. And it is an incredible picture of God's faithfulness. To his people. And so uh, Matthew 28 is, is the basis. And then in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, again, Jesus is speaking to his disciples and he tells them, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. This is, this is Jesus' instructions to his people, to his followers, to go to go in the power of the Holy Spirit to the ends of the earth. Jerusalem, that's our neighborhood. Judea and Samaria, that's the greater community around us. It's kind of concentric circles. And then to the very ends of the earth, he says, go make disciples. Everybody say go. Go. All right. So as a church, we have taken these two statements, these two commissions of Jesus to his followers, and we have crafted it into a, a mission statement for our church that goes like this, we are people empowered by the Holy Spirit to make a difference in our neighborhood and around the world through the gospel and for the glory of God. And so we do ministry right here in our neighborhood. Yesterday, uh, Josh Zuniga and uh, a team from our Spanish ministry, I think Miss Pat was there, several people from Uh, Our freeway team went over to some of the apartments across the street and handed out flyers uh, for a special event that will happen next Saturday. Josh, what time is the block party? Y'all all all heard him, didn't you? He's got a good, powerful voice. Thank you, Josh. Uh, So 930, by the way, we need your help. So this is a plug, okay? So put your listening ears on and your volunteer hands up and ready. So next Saturday, we're going to have a block party event at the Pacifico Place Apartments, which is just off of Roberto Clemente, right by the IHOP. Uh, And so the apartment complex has given us the ability to just come in there and set up. And uh, so we're going to do food. We're going to do games and crafts for the kids. Our children's ministry team for Freeway is going to kind of lead that part. We're going to have an opportunity to, to speak. Pastor Carlos is going to share the gospel with those who gather with us. Uh, And then we're going to invite them to to be at our freeway services on Saturday nights. But we need your help. We need your help serving families and serving kids, just getting to know people, sharing the love of Jesus with people through conversations and smiles. Uh, And if God leads into a gospel conversation, then that's awesome. So we want to invite you to be a part of that meeting here at 930. And then the event is at 11. Okay. So uh, everybody hear that? If you do, say amen. All right, good. That wasn't quite as good as the go, but I'll take it. So, but we do need help for that. So if you're interested in helping, you can see Josh after the service. He'll be hanging around down here in the front and you can come tell him that you would be willing to serve and help with that. But it's, again, an opportunity to serve in our neighborhood and then around the world. And uh, we love that we get to participate with missionaries who are serving all over the world the world, because our faith, the gospel, our, our faith in, in Jesus Christ is a proclaiming faith. We're called to share. We're called to open up our mouths and speak. Our faith is, is not just a private faith, although faith is very personal. Jesus has changed my life individually. Jesus has, has brought truth and healing and restoration into areas of my life individually. And, and faith, no doubt, is an individual, personal thing. Many of you have had incredible personal transformation through your faith in Jesus Christ. But that is not where our faith ends. Jesus transforms our life so that we can proclaim what he has done in our life to others. Last week, we looked at the story of the woman at the well. Somebody asked me this morning if this was an object lesson for the woman at the well. Um, I mean, it works, kind of. Uh, but, But her testimony was that she was kind of on the margins of society. She was a loner because she was kind of looked down on by the other people in her town. But Jesus showed up. And he spoke to her with love and kindness. He extended to her an invitation to drink living water that would spring up in her as a as a a wellspring of life. He, He was honest with her that he knew all about her mistakes and her sin and her past and her baggage. And he loved her and he spoke to her anyway. And she was transformed and she was changed when he said, I am the Messiah says that she dropped her water pot and she ran into town and said, you got to come meet this guy who told me everything I've ever done. He might be the Messiah. She was transformed in a very personal way. But it led to proclamation of what God had done in her life. And our faith is a proclaiming faith. We can't just sit on it. Jesus said, do you put a candle on a stand and then put a basket over it? No. That's dumb. <laughs> when we were a kid, we used to sing a song, this little light of mine, I'm gonna let it shine. And there was a verse that said, hide it under a bushel. And all the kids said, no. All right, so we're gonna practice that. Hide it under a bushel. Oh yeah. I'm gonna let it shine. Cause that's dumb. <laughs> you don't light a light and then cover it up. I'm a dad. I don't turn lights on and then close the door and nobody's in the room. Like when I leave the house, I'm turning off every light switch in the house, cranking the air down. Jesus said, you don't put a light and then put a basket over it. That doesn't make any sense. And in the same way, when the light of the gospel shines in our hearts, we don't hide it. We gotta open up our mouth and speak our our faith is a proclaiming faith. So, week one, we looked at our motivation for sharing our faith and we looked at the love of God. Jesus told us two or three stories, parables in Luke chapter 15 about a shepherd who left 99 sheep to find one. And he said, There is more rejoicing in heaven when the one is found than over the 99 who don't need to be found. He told us a story about a woman who flipped her house upside down to find one coin that she was missing out of 10. Coins And he said, in heaven, we rejoice over one sinner, one lost person who is found. And then he told us the story of the prodigal son or the faithful father, who when his son, after he wasted his life, wasted his father's wealth, when he finally came to his senses, scripture says, he turned around and as he was coming back, the father ran to him. And wrapped him up and said, son, I'm so glad you're home. And in the same way, we have a father in heaven who loves people who are far from him. And we should have that same kind of love. Jesus was talking to the religious leaders when he told these stories. He said, look, I'm here for those who are lost. The son of man came to seek and to save those who were lost. In the same way, we should have that kind of love for people who are far from God. That's our motivation for going and proclaiming. Week two, we looked at our part and God's part. Paul tells, uh, he gives this illustration, this example in the book of 1 Corinthians, and he says, some plant, some water, but God gives the increase or God gives the growth. When we're going and when we're telling and when we're sharing, we can't make anybody do anything. We can't make anybody believe anything. Only God can do that. And that means the pressure's off. You just be faithful. You just be obedient. You just open up your mouth and speak and God will do his part. And he desires that people far from him would come into a relationship with him. And then last week we, we looked again at the woman in the well at the well who told her story with simplicity. She just said, come meet a man. You don't have to know all the answers. You just got to know Jesus. And this man changed my life. She told her story with transparency. She she said, he told me everything I've ever done. We got to be honest about ourselves because the whole point of the gospel is that we're all bad people who need a savior. There is none righteous, not even one. And when we're telling people about the Jesus who saved us, we got to be honest about, and I needed to be saved, I promise. And this woman was honest and transparent about her situation. And then it took a little bit of courage to go into that town, those people who had looked down their nose at her for so many years. But she went with boldness, knowing just like Jesus said in Matthew 28, that I am with you even unto the end of the age. And so today... We're gonna look at three different stories of faith. We're gonna look at how three individual people came to saving faith in Jesus Christ as their savior. We're gonna look at how the Apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, went into a city and, and shared the good news of Jesus in three different settings with three very different people, three very different ways but they were all transformed. So we're going to read out of Acts chapter 16. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there to Acts chapter 16. little backstory: um, Paul had been on a missionary journey. He went with a man named Barnabas and they went together and they went in what is modern day Turkey and they went to cities like Galatia and and Thessalonica, or not, I'm sorry, Galatia, and, and, uh, and some other cities in, in modern-day Turkey. At the time, it was called Asia Minor, and they shared the gospel, and they planted churches, and then they came back to their home base, which was the city of Antioch, and it was time for the second missionary journey, and Paul and Barnabas parted ways because they had a disagreement uh, about a guy named John Mark. Paul said, I'm not taking him. He's a mama's boy, and Barnabas said, give him another chance, Paul. And, uh, and they parted ways. And so Barnabas and John Mark, they went and did their missionary work. Paul took another guy named Silas, and they went and did missionary work first um, in, in that same kind of Asia Minor. In fact, I've got a map. I want to show it to you. You guys will put that picture up on the screen. So Antioch is where the, where the red arrow starts, and that's kind of at the northern... Uh, corner right there where the Mediterranean Sea is, and then they went to a city called Derby, and a city called Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch in Asia Minor. And uh, in Acts chapter 16, we, we get this interesting piece of information, verses 6 through 10. It says, they went to the region of Phrygia and Galatia. These are kind of states or regions. They had been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So we don't know exactly what that means, but somehow the Spirit of God prevented Paul and Silas from kind of going to the east and sharing the gospel in Asia. When they came to Mysia, they tried to go into Bithynia. Again, those are regions. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Again, we don't know exactly what that means. We don't know... if. Paul had a dream and, and the spirit of God said, don't go there. Or if, or if circumstances prevented it and they took that as God's sovereignty and preventing them from going, we don't know exactly what it means, but we know they were prevented from going and doing the thing that they thought they were supposed to do. And so because of that, they, they changed directions and they go to a new place. They take the gospel to Europe for the first time. So they leave uh, Turkey and the Middle East and they cross over to Greece and to Europe. And it's the first time that the gospel penetrates into Europe and they go to this city called Philippi. But one quick thing before we get to the city of Philippi. Um, Sometimes God closes doors. Sometimes God says no. Paul and Silas, they, they were on a mission. Jesus said, go, and they were like, we're going, Jesus. We're going to go over here, and we're going to go over here. And for some reason, the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit of God, said, no. They said, well, we're going to go over here. And the Spirit said, no, I don't want you to go there. Okay, well, we're going to go here. The Spirit of Jesus said, no, I don't want you to go there. And, and I just want you to know, believers, that sometimes the Spirit of God says no. And when He does, don't push. Don't push, because he has a better plan. So maybe you're in a season of life where God is telling you no, and it's frustrating for you. It's it's driving you crazy, and you keep trying to push, and you keep trying to find a new way in. You're trying to climb through the window, or you're trying to go around the back door, and he's saying no, no, no. So stop, (laughs) stop, and seek him. Wait on him. He has a better plan. And that was exactly what happened in Acts chapter 16. Paul and Silas, they they thought they were doing the right thing, but God told them no. And then Paul has this vision and a man from Macedonia or Greece is saying, come over here and help us. So Paul says, okay, I guess God wants us to go to Europe, to Macedonia, to Greece. And so in verse 11, and I'm going to read a big chunk of scripture here. Says that from Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight to Samothrace, the next day to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi. So they left. Uh, Troas was a port in Asia Minor in Turkey, and they sailed across to Neapolis, which was the first port city in Greece, and then they went to the city of Philippi. It was a Roman colony and a leading city of the district of Macedonia. We stayed there for several days. On the Sabbath day, we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. The Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying, and after she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house." And she persuaded us. Once as we were on our way, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune telling. As she, as she followed Paul and us, she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you a way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days. Paul was greatly annoyed and turning to the spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. And when her owners realized that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. Bringing them before the chief magistrates, they said, These men are seriously disturbing our city. They're Jews and they are promoting customs that are not legal for us as Romans to adopt or practice. The crowd joined in and attacking against them, and the chief magistrates stripped off their clothes and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had been severely flogged, they threw them in jail. "...ordering the jailer to guard them carefully. Receiving such an order, he put them into the inner prison and secured their feet in stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was such a violent earthquake that the foundations of the jail were shaken... And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains came loose. And when the jailer woke up and saw the doors of the prison standing open, he drew his sword and was going to kill himself since he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul called out in a loud voice, don't harm yourself because we're all here. The jailer called for lights, rushed in, fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. He escorted them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him along with everyone in his house. He took them that same hour of the night and washed their wounds. Right away he and all his family were baptized. He brought them into his house, set a meal before them and rejoiced because he had come to believe in God with his entire household. Let's pray. Lord God, we love you, we thank you for your word. God, your word is truth, so now we ask you to transform us, to sanctify us, and change us by your truth. God, I pray that this story wouldn't just be a story, but in it we would see the words of life. Lord, that we would be challenged by it, that we would be encouraged by it, and that we would submit to it. And that through that, Lord, you would transform our lives and the lives of others as we go and tell the good news. So, Lord, speak now. Let it be your words, not mine, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you for listening to that chunk of scripture out of Acts chapter 16. But we see this unique story of, of three individual people and how their lives were transformed Through the gospel. Paul and Silas and by this time the guy named Luke who wrote the book of Acts is with them because he talks about us. He's included in that group and we don't know how many other people were in Paul's little entourage but they're going around the city of Philippi and they're looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And it had been Paul's custom to go to Jewish synagogues when he went into cities. And and that worked in Asia Minor, but now he's in the city of Philippi, a Roman colony. And evidently there is no synagogue to go to. And so he went to the river because that's where any observant Jewish people would gather. Because in that river they could practice ritual cleansing that was part of the Old Testament law. It It was a suitable site for worship. And so he went there and and he found a group of women. And Lydia evidently was the leader among these women. And Paul was given an opportunity to share uh, his testimony, to share from the Old Testament. And and Paul would have gone through the Old Testament and shown how the Old Testament pointed to the Messiah that would come. And, And he would have taught that Jesus Christ was that Messiah and that he gave his life. And those who put their faith in him, could be saved and and brought into the kingdom of God, adopted into the family of God. And scripture tells us that God gave Lydia grace and faith to believe Paul's message. And her life was transformed and changed. And she said, I want you to come to my house and I want you to share what you told me with everybody in my house. Lydia was wealthy, she was a business owner. Tells us that she was a merchant who sold in purple cloth. Um, if you, so when I was a kid, I loved history because I remember facts pretty well. Um, and, uh, and I remember throughout history, you know, in history of Western Civ and and kind of like ancient history, you learned about this little snail that produced this purple dye and, uh, and it was, and it was really important and it was given to royalty and, and it was like, uh really a rare commodity, and and Lydia was a merchant who sold cloth that was dyed in this purple dye that came from these little snails. That those robes were probably given to the emperor in Rome and to important people in Roman society. And so she, she made a pretty good living selling this purple cloth. You know, if there was a Vogue magazine in that time in history, her purple cloth would have been on the cover, you know, on the red carpet. They would have said, yes, I'm wearing Lydia today. You know, like she was an important person. She was also a God-fearing woman, Scripture tells us. She was at least seeking truth. She was seeking God. She was looking for answers. And when she heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, she responded and so she said, come to my house. I, you got to tell everybody in my house. And, and she would have had likely a large household because she was a wealthy woman. So she would have had servants and people who worked in her house. And Paul shared with them and they were baptized. And she said, if you really, if you really believe that Jesus has saved me, if you really believe that, that, I am, that, I'm, that I'm part of the team now, then I want you to stay here with me. Like this can be home base and we can, we can share this with everybody in the city of Philippi. And it tells us that she persuaded us. Um, the implication is that Paul and Silas are like, no, 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 it's okay. You know, we, we, we can make tents. We'll take care of ourselves. She persuaded us means that she did not take no for an answer. Uh, she was hospitable and, and she had the ability to, to kind of provide a home base for this ministry team in the city of Philippi. And that's Lydia. For Lydia... Uh, She was wealthy, she was prosperous, she was a spiritual seeker. And when Paul and Silas and the team shared the gospel with her, they, they just needed to share the truth with her. God had been working in her heart. God had been drawing her to himself and she was ready to respond. And when they told her the gospel, when they told her about Jesus the Messiah, she said, I'm in. I've been waiting for somebody to come tell me about him. And sometimes in our lives, we'll come across people who are just ready to hear the gospel. And all we have to do is open up our mouth and speak, and God allows us to be a part of this incredible harvest. Last week, uh, I I talked about sharing our story, and um, uh, Karina Ibarra, who's a part of our church, she told me Sunday night I saw her, and she told me that her daughter... And uh, Natalia w- went home Sunday and she was playing with some of the other kids in the neighborhood. Natalia's in middle school and there were a couple younger girls and they were outside playing. And, and Natalia just went ahead and shared the gospel with them. And a nine-year-old girl prayed to receive Jesus as her Savior. And sometimes that's how God works. He just puts us in front of people that just need to hear the message. Sam's testimony. Uh, after church, Miss Lucy Said, Sam, do you know that you would go to heaven when you died? And she led him to the Lord. But Alex, who he's sitting right next to over here, had started spiritual conversations with him in the weeks leading up to that. And God was working. And and some sow the seed and some water, but only God can give the increase. And sometimes God puts us in front of somebody and he just says, open up your mouth, dummy. I've already done all the work. This is going to be an easy one. And sometimes that's how it works. That's how it was with Lydia. Lydia. But you know what we have to do? We have to open up our mouth. We have to ask spiritual questions. We have to have spiritual conversations. How can we do that? We can talk about what God has done in our lives, just like the woman at the well. We can, we can just ask people, hey, tell me about your relationship with God. Are you a part of a church somewhere? Are you a part of a spiritual community, a spiritual family? We can just have Spiritual conversations. I mean, if he's changed our life, we ought to want to talk about it. And in that, God can use those spiritual conversations to see people respond and come to faith. That's the story of Lydia, it was pretty straightforward. And then we see this next story. Paul is walking through the town, and there's a slave girl. Slavery was incredibly common in the Roman Empire. Almost half of the population were slaves. Maybe even more than half of the population were enslaved people. And this young lady was enslaved and she was a fortune teller, it says. And there was some kind of demonic spirit that, that was afflicting her. And, and through that, um, she could attract people to herself and she would tell fortunes. And as Paul and Silas and the team... We're walking through town every day, she would say, these guys, they're servants. They're slaves of the most high God and they're here to tell you a way of salvation. We don't know what her motivation was. We know that in the gospels, when Jesus would encounter people who were demonized, many times they would say, son of God, leave us alone, right? And he would say, be quiet. (laughs) So we don't know what the motivation of this demon-possessed slave girl was and calling out Maybe maybe she was even kind of ridiculing them. We don't know. We just know that every day she was calling out, these guys, they're servants of the most high God. They're here to tell you a way of salvation. Some commentators think uh, that that what she said was they're they're telling you a way of salvation instead of the way of salvation. And Paul took issue with a way instead of the way. I don't know. Commentators say all kind of things. That could be so. Maybe it's not. But what we do know is that Paul was grieved, he was frustrated. Maybe he was frustrated and and grieved that that this young lady was being oppressed by this demonic spirit. And he said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus, come out of her, and, and she was delivered. Now, we don't know the end of the story. It doesn't tell us. We don't know if through that powerful spiritual encounter she came to faith or not. Doesn't tell us whether she was baptized or not. Doesn't tell us if if the slave traders got rid of her, if they kept her enslaved. It's likely that she stayed enslaved. But she was delivered. She was delivered from this spiritual bondage. And we will experience people in our lives who are exploited, who are marginalized, who are in spiritual bondage. And we have an opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with them. We have the opportunity to pray for deliverance. And and when we encounter people who are are like this young woman who was exploited and marginalized, who was spiritually oppressed, demon-possessed, don't run the other way. That's the first thing. Don't run the other way. Because that's what we do a lot of times. We're good church folks. But don't run the other way. Pray for them. Pray in private, pray in public, pray for them by name. Because there's some people, they need to see God move in power, and God still moves in power. God still delivers. God still brings restoration and wholeness. And this young lady's life was radically transformed. And I, we don't know how the story ends. The book of Acts doesn't tell us. But I like to believe she became a part of that church in Philippi. She was probably still a slave. But she had some time where she could go gather with the other believers. In fact, a lot of the early church were slaves. A lot of the early church were people who were enslaved in the Roman Empire. That's why so many times in Paul's letters he says, those of you who are slaves, honor your masters. Live your life in such a way that that your life would draw them to the Savior. That was part of the culture of the day. There were many people who were enslaved who were a part of the church of Jesus Christ. And I like to believe that this young lady became one of them. And she gathered with Lydia and the other believers. And they ministered to her. Paul tells us this. Uh, To kind of give us his heart and the truth of the gospel in Galatians chapter 3, verses 27 through 28, he says, Those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ, and there is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you are all one in Christ. You see, that culture in that day was super segregated, everybody kind of stayed to themselves. The Jewish people hated the Gentiles, the Gentiles looked down on the Jewish people. And Paul says, hey, when you're in Christ, those distinctions are gone. There were people who were enslaved and there were people who were free. And Paul said, in Christ, those distinctions are gone. Male and female, in that that culture, it was was strange for men and women to interact outside of family units. And Paul said, in Christ, those distinctions are gone. We are one in Christ. We know that Paul's heart for those who were slaves was was to see them freed and redeemed. Uh, The book of Philemon was written by Paul and it was written to a guy whose name was Philemon. <laughs> but the letter was written on behalf of another guy. The other guy's name was Onesimus. And Onesimus was a slave. In fact, he was Philemon's slave. And somehow he escaped from Philemon and he came across Paul's path in the city of Rome. And he got saved and he, his life was transformed. And somehow they got on the subject and and Onesimus said, yeah, I used to be a slave for this guy named Philemon. And Paul said, I know him. (laughs) Hey, Onesimus, I'm going to write a letter and I want you to take it to Philemon. And Onesimus was like, come on, Paul, don't make me do that. And in the letter, Paul says, Philemon, I'm sending Onesimus to you. He used to be your slave, now he's your brother. You better treat him like that because you owe me. Paul literally said, you owe me. He said, he's better than a slave. He's better than a servant. He's your brother. We we know what Paul's heart was, but in the culture of that day, there were still people who were oppressed and marginalized. And in our culture, in this broken world that we live in, there will always be people who are on the margins, who are exploited are oppressed. And as the people of God, we need to get close to them. We need to pray for them. We need to love them. The church of Jesus Christ needs to be a place for people who are far from God to be drawn near to God, who experience the love of God and the love of his people. And even though we may continue to walk through incredibly difficult circumstances in life, we can walk with brothers and sisters who know us and love us and have our back. That's the story of this young slave girl. Philippians chapter 4, by the way, one, one more quick note before I move on. The, the book of Philippians, so the book of Acts tells the history of the early church, and then Paul writes some letters to different churches, and one of his letters is the letter to the church at Philippi, that's to these believers. It's four chapters long, and at the end of the fourth chapter, he's writing it from Rome, and he says, All of the believers send you greetings, all of the believers in Rome, especially those belonging to Caesar's household. That means those people who are enslaved, who are the servants in Caesar's household, they've come to faith and they're sending you greetings. Because in the church, wealthy businesswomen like Lydia and Formerly demon-possessed slave girls, and as we're going to see in just a minute, this blue-collar Philippian jailer are all a part of the family. So this jailer, he was kind of a working-class average Joe. He wasn't really interested in spiritual things. Probably he was a retired Roman soldier because retired Roman soldiers got these kind of public works jobs. Like being a jailer. And so he was a tough guy. He had probably been in some battles. He had seen some stuff. He wasn't real interested in the deeper things of life because he had seen some dark things. In fact, when Paul and Silas are brought to the jail, they're brought in bloody and beaten, and he puts them in stocks. So he makes it even worse for them. So if you remember like, you know, where the the guy with his head and his arms and the stocks and people throw fruit at him, remember that? So it's something like that, except it says leg stocks. So they, they kind of put their legs in this wooden or, or stone uh, bracket that holds them together, and they're just kind of stuck there. I was looking up some uh, information about stocks, and uh, in 2020, just in 2020, in Colombia, people who broke COVID quarantine were put in leg stocks. And there's some pictures of these dudes who are like, oh, come on, man but their their legs are shackled in these wooden stocks. But this jailer, he took these guys who had just been beaten to a pulp by the mob and then by guys with rods, and now he buckles them into these stocks. I mean, he wasn't like a real compassionate fella. And that night, Paul and Silas are worshiping and they're praising God. Bloody and beaten, legs chained up to the wall, And they're praising the Lord. They're singing about every victory is yours. Every victory is yours. And something happens. Scripture tells us that there's an earthquake and the chains fall off and they're free. All the doors bust open and and this jailer, he realizes that the prisoners are likely to have escaped and he's about to take his own life because he probably would have been executed for losing all the prisoners. So he thought, I might as well save them the task. But Paul says, hey, 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 we're all still here, man. And you know what his response was? He came to Paul and Silas, took them out of the cell, fell down on his knees and said, guys, what do I have to do to be saved? Because they, he saw something radical in Paul and Silas' life. He saw something that he had never seen and he had seen some stuff. He saw these two guys who were beaten and bloodied for no good reason, who were sent to jail, who were put in stocks and they didn't grumble and they didn't complain, they praised Jesus. And they prayed and they worshiped. And I'm sure as he was sitting there he thought, that's different." I'm sure he's been cussed out. I'm sure he's been spit on. I'm sure all kinds of things have been said to him by other prisoners in the jail. Wait till I get out of here. Wait till you see what I'm going to do to you when I get out of these leg stocks. He's heard that before. But he never heard people praise Jesus before. And as they're praising, they're delivered. And he says, I don't know what this is, but I want to know. And he came and he fell down on his knees and said, men, fellows, sirs, what do I have to do to be saved? And the answer was real simple. Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. You and your household, because we're about to go to your house and we're going to tell everybody over there too. <laughs> and then they went and they told everybody in his house. And he said, Y'all got to listen. And when they heard dad say, y'all got to listen, they listened and they responded and they were baptized. And after they were baptized, that tough old Philippian jailer, retired battle-hardened soldier, he gently washed their wounds. It doesn't say he got one of his servants to do it. It says he did it because he saw something that he had never seen before. And I just want to tell you, that there's some people that you're going to encounter and there is nothing that you can say. There is nothing that you can say that's going to convince them. They've seen some stuff. They've had some experiences. And your words, they don't matter. What they need to see is a real living faith. What they need to see is how you respond when the bottom falls out. What they need to see is that you continue to love Jesus even when things are going real bad. What they need to see is that you continue to worship and say God is good even in the midst of suffering. I went to a funeral yesterday for a guy named Chaz Burton. His wife Lori was a teacher in our school. And Chaz died of pancreatic cancer. He was 49 years old. He has three sons. And his oldest son, Nevin, got up at that funeral and he talked about how much his dad loved Jesus. And he talked about how good God was. Chaz and Lori, it wasn't his first battle with cancer. He, he, he had had cancer, went into remission, and came back with a vengeance. They have a son, their youngest of three sons, battled leukemia. And they went through a hard battle. Lori has her own health problems. She died on the floor of one of our classrooms last year. And somebody had to bring her back to life with a defibrillator. She has a pacemaker now and, but they've been through some stuff. And with all the medical complications, there's financial complications. And they stood at that funeral and they said, God is good. And we sang at that funeral about the goodness of God. All my life, you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. With every breath that I am able, I will sing of the goodness of God. And they sing of the goodness of God. And some people, they just need to see you sing about the goodness of God when life is real lousy. That's why Paul says in Philippians 2, 14 through 15, he says, do everything without grumbling and arguing. Yikes. (laughs) I grumble and argue about when I don't have the right kind of cereal I want at breakfast. My kids, they know, that's my cereal. They're not supposed to eat it. Anyway. (laughs) Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that, so that, not just don't complain, guys, don't complain. That's not a good motivation. Stop complaining, stop complaining, stop complaining. No, no, no. So that you may be blameless and pure children of God who are faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. And that day, the Philippian jailer in the middle of the night, he saw some stars shining. He saw some individuals who reflected the light of Jesus in their life. And they sang, God is so good. God is so good. God is so good, he's so good to me. While they were still stripped and beaten and locked in leg shackles. And when God delivered them and that man came walking in, he said, (laughs) what is going on? And how can I be a part of it? And they just said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. So this morning, believers, followers of Jesus, the same way that Paul shared the gospel in three different ways, you had the opportunity to just simply share the truth with Lydia and she responded. And sometimes you'll have an opportunity, just open up your mouth and tell the story and somebody will be ready and they'll respond. You might come across some people who are in bondage, who are on the margins, who are oppressed. Don't walk away, pray. God can deliver them. There is nobody that's too far gone. Do y'all know that? There is nobody that's too far gone. There is nobody that God's grace can't reach. We need to know that and we need to live like that. And then for some of us, a lot of us, we're going to go through hard seasons in life and how we respond is going to either say that God is good or that he's not quite good enough. And the way Paul and Silas lived in those moments of darkness, they didn't know. They could have been executed the next day for all they knew. And through their faithfulness in the darkest season, this old Philippian jailer came to faith. And through him, his whole house came to faith. And all of a sudden, you got the beginning of the church at Philippi. (laughs) You Got this wealthy businesswoman, Lydia. You got this blue-collar jailer and his family. They never been to a picnic together before. You got this formerly demon-possessed slave girl, and all of a sudden they're all together. That's what the church is supposed to be. And when we can come together despite our vast differences and love each other, then that declares the gospel in another radical way. And I'm sure there's some people in Philippi that saw that little group of people gathered down by the river and thought, whoa. What are these people doing together? I got to go check that out. So this morning, three stories of faith. Maybe this morning you find yourself like Lydia. You've been seeking, but you haven't found the answer yet. This morning the answer is Jesus. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Maybe you're like that slave girl. You have... You have been struggling. You feel oppressed. You feel you are in spiritual bondage. You don't know how to get out of it. The answer, still the same, Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ, Paul said, in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe you're like that Philippian jailer. You're doing okay. Not really all that interested in spiritual things, but somebody dragged you here today. What must I do to be saved? Believe on the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. Why don't you stand up with me this morning? We're going to sing a song and as we do, I want to invite you to respond. If you're a believer this morning, maybe you just need to pray, God, give me opportunities to tell the story of the gospel to people who are ready to hear, like Lydia. God, help me to continue to pray for people like that slave girl who are on the margins, who are on the fringes of society, who seem too far gone. God, give me faith to to draw near to them, to love them, to pray for them. Lord, help me to live in my most difficult moments like you are good and you are faithful so that my life can declare your gospel to people who are watching like the Philippian jailer. Believers, maybe you're going through a hard season right now and maybe you've been grumbling and complaining a little bit. Paul says, don't do that so that your life can declare God's glory. You have an opportunity in the midst of those dark seasons. Or maybe you're here today and and you've never come to Jesus for salvation. Today can be your day. So as we sing, I invite you to respond. God, we love you. Thank you that you have made a way for us through Jesus Christ. Lord, help us to respond in faith. Lord, for those of us who have made you the king and lord of our lives, Lord, help us to live in such a way that declares your glory. Help us to be obedient and faithful to open up our mouth and speak. Lord, help us to go after those who are far from you, who are on the margins and on the fringes to love them the way you loved the one that was lost. Thank you. Lord, give us faith to respond today, however you call us. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing, I invite you to respond.